So, um, welcome to another episode of the Spirit Forge podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Tyson Walters, and we got a special guest with us today. Um, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name's Tony, and a um, good friend of Mr. Tyson's. Uh, introduce myself, what would I say? I'm 50-ish, I'm an Auckland resident, and I'm here to chat to Mr. Tyson about uh, martial arts yeah, and my yeah. experience in it. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, so are you you're Auckland born and bred? Yeah, I grew up on the North Shore. So I, um, well, my mum's family was originally from Ponsonby, Westmere, yeah. and then they lived there for a bit. First road was, I think, Warnock Street, where we had uh, their first house, and then they built a house over on the shore, yeah. and I grew up on the North Shore as it was expanding. Okay. Uh, so 1970s going to school and, and yeah. then in the 80s in school in Takapuna. And uh, in the later of the 80s, I uh, went to university in Auckland Central and started moving into flats around different parts of town. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So, yeah, I mean, geez, your whole life connected with Auckland. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. I mean, I've spent a bit of time traveling uh, in my 20s and... Uh, having a look a bit around New Zealand, but I've only ever lived particularly in, in Auckland. Okay, cool. Well, that's a good that's a good place to kind of ground in terms of, um, you know, people understanding, you know, who you are, where you're from, how old you are, and stuff like that. Mm. Um, now, you kind of shared a little bit before um, that we want to spend some time and talk a little bit about, um, I guess, uh, some of, uh, I guess what your journey has been with martial arts, right? So what do you reckon, like, when you think back... Um, you know, when when did that start to become something that that you were interested in or wanting to do, or what were your kind of early training experiences? Would you say? Okay, so when I think back to where I started in terms of training, mm. um, I know <coughs> my first formal classes were in judo. It was very popular when uh, when I was growing up as a kid. I used to spend spend a bit of time wrestling and mucking around. I had two brothers and, and my dad, and we used to do informal wrestling quite a lot. And what I, I voiced an opinion quite early that I wanted to do something. And there was a local Browns Bay um, uh, judo club, which was run by an English guy. Okay. And though I didn't appreciate it at the time, it was really good. I spent probably two two years. I mean, I got my... I was young, like primary school level, yeah. So, like, how old How old would that be? Ooh, under the age of 10. Okay, so, but that's a really good type of training i would say from a developmental point of view to experience right a little bit of rough and tumble right yeah i mean yeah. That, that idea of and being comfortable with the grapple you know yeah. that idea of, of falling and the idea of learning techniques and struggling through to a technique until it becomes doable um i wasn't particularly good but my teacher remembered me i mean my mum used to come say oh you know i bumped into your judo teacher and he would always ask about me for a few years after i stopped training i'm not sure why i stopped training and i still regret it to this day because yeah. I, I did enjoy it it was it was good yeah do you um, remember uh, what your judo teacher's name was or no oh, i remember his face vaguely yep. and he was an english guy uh, i remember that and his build and i can picture his face but i have a terrible memory for names i mean that but i mean it's kind of interesting that he was from the uk because um, there's a lot of history in terms of judo going around the world, but mm. then getting a real strong anchor hold in the UK. But then with some of the migration that happened from the UK to New Zealand, yeah. then brought that judo in an indirect way to New Zealand, right? Yeah, it was interesting because as I look back at it now, when I when I look at judo, I can see a lot of it as stand-up, but I remember doing niwaza quite a lot as well. Okay. The idea, so I'm not sure whether he was uh, strictly uh, kokodan 
uh, judo or whether he was associated with some of the ground school judo guys because I remember that we had we did groundwork quite a bit I mean obviously you have the you know the the basic trips and throws that that are standard issue in the rolls but mm. I still remember doing some of the pins and and enjoying that that idea of the scramble you know, and, and, and the grapple right. even though it wasn't that big you just get squashed did I hear you right so did you do that with uh, your dad and your brother so you guys did it as a family or uh, no no we would just wrestle informally as part of I remember when my dad would come home uh, we would often just you know Ambush him. Ambush him, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> my two brothers and I would, uh, particularly my, my younger brother Bernie, we would just, you know, just have wrestle, WrestleMania. And yeah, of part, course. You know, a lot of energy as young kids are jumping around. Yeah. Um, and that was a good channel for it. And I'm still to this day not certain why I, you know, stopped going there because it was good fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, hey, man, you know, things happen. And I mean, especially when... Like when you're that age, your parents have some influence on what your activities are to some degree. So maybe it had to do with, um, you know, the ebb and flow of what was happening with your family and your parents as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So I also remember one of my earliest memories. They had some student teachers come to that primary school. And they, I don't know what the hell they were doing as a teacher. Uh, they had us, the boys, do some aggression training. So they basically, they said, oh, we're going to have a boxing class and just one-on-one, but, you know, like... So wait, just to clarify, was that to make you more aggressive or less I aggressive? I don't know. I still don't know what they were doing. <laughs> aggression but, training. Okay. I, don't know, I don't know what the aim of the, the, the team was, but they had us, like, here's some gloves and you guys can go. No hits to the head, you know, duff each other up. And how, how old were you then? Uh, un, under age of 10, again, probably seven or eight. So they're strapping up. Ten-year-olds, uh, less than that, because the missus. I remember the teacher we had, and when I was ten, and yeah. she we she was into the running. She wouldn't have, but this must have been earlier, probably a seven, eight, or nine. But yeah. I was good at it. Like I remember having the gloves on and and just getting to to set to uh, with some of the other guys in the class. Yeah, of course. You know, like I wasn't particularly athletic. Mm-hmm. I'm still not. Yeah, but um, I, I was like, dude, I really enjoyed it. And hassling my dad, oh, you know, I want a box, I want a box, and he wouldn't have a bar of it. He really was very anti the the boxing. But talking to my mum about it, it's in uh, my family history. So my grandfather boxed, my uncle boxed, uh, my grandfather's brother who died in a motorcycle accident was was quite good and won some sort of medal. There's a tea service with his name on it somewhere, but he okay. he died pretty early. So there's there's a boxing history there. But my my father was very anti it, very anti. I don't, th- I don't think he um, associated it with. Uh, Pleasant company. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, and you know, that's not an uncommon, it's not an uncommon kind of thing for parents, you know, they don't want their kids to get hurt or they don't want them to maybe develop some qualities that they worry about or whatever, so. And I think socially at that time, boxing was looked at askance. I mean, there was, there were no uh, upmarket gyms, boxing gyms, that was all pretty much, you had to go looking for it. There were some boxing gyms in town. But I don't think on the shore, I don't know whether there were any that I know of So um, what if in the 70s. Yeah, so, and that's what I was just going to ask you. So what are we talking in a time period? This is like, what, the late 70s, early 80s? Uh, late 70s. I know there was a, an informal gym, uh, <laughs> a dubious character, Lindsay the Shark, um, had a boxing gym on Forest Hill in the late 80s. No, mid, mid, mid to late 80s. Okay. But that was a dubious establishment. I'm not going to say too much about that. Okay. Well, um, all right. Well, fair enough. So those are some of your early memories, right? Mm. Um, and now I would say arguably 
where did that go from? And if we were to kind of say from, if you're around 10 years old, around that time. Okay, so for me, I went to a, a school which had a, a strong focus on rugby and, and, and uh, as, its, as its chosen sport activity, and I didn't buy into that, um, which is unfortunate looking in, in hindsight, I probably should have bought into something, but I, I was pretty geeky. So I didn't really, I stepped away from sports and into the intellectual sp- pursuits and reading and, and all that sort of stuff for yeah. a, uh, quite a while. And I only sort of stepped back into it in my late teens, there was a guy in our school who was a judoka who'd come in when I was about 17, and he was starting up a club at the school. And I remember him asking around, anyone got any old geese and stuff? And I said, oh, shit, I used to do that. That's, you know? that's so, wait, so that guy who was starting that club was 17 years old? No, I was 17. You were 17. Time. He was a teacher who'd just newly come to the school and was looking to establish a judo club. Oh, cool. Um, I didn't follow it up, and I should have. Again, twenty twenty hindsight. I remember yeah. going to university and, and chatting to one of the. I used to hang out in the um, the student bar, and just chatting to some of the bouncers there. And uh, one of the guys was from the you know, Auckland University Judo Club, but they trained somewhere else. They didn't train in town, and I was hanging out in town. So their training facility, Rick Little, I think. Well, Rick I, that's right. I was going to ask you because the 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 man that was. Well, started that because Rick Littlewood, right? Yeah, and there's a connection I have with him only because he's associated with a Kempo club that uh, Is he? I trained in. Yeah, really? he was. Yeah, um, that's how I met him. Okay, uh, years later. Um, hmm. But I remember talking to the guys who were doing bouncing work at the the student. There were shadows, and there was a guy called Singh there, who's a very big Indian fellow. Didn't train anything. He was a bit of a street fighter, and yeah, there was. But there were some students there who were judokas. Okay, all right, so. Essentially, then, after those early experiences kind of uh, in the primary level, then, you know, things changed a little bit, right? Yeah. So, um, I, basically, I started going out and about in town and realized that I needed to be able, was in some situations where I was out of my depth and, yeah. and actually thought, shit, you know, I'm going to have to get some sort of ability to defend myself. I mean, I, I do enjoy drinking. And one of the, <laughs> one of the da- apart from the, the, the upsides of sociability and the conviviality, yeah. but uh, the dark side of drinking is you're going to meet some un- people at some stage who are, you know, where the situation is not going to be ambient. Well, <coughs> and, you know, of course, um, alcohol is a disinhibitor. And yeah. so if you, um, if you have somebody who's got some aggression... Uh, that they want to get out, you know, that's yeah. where you're going to see that start to bubble out. And, you know, yeah. we all hear those stereotypical things, people under the influence getting into a fight and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. right? So, so yeah. I, had my, um, I had my clock stopped when I was a younger man. Uh, there was a, when, probably in this neighbourhood now, although this neighbourhood is much more salubrious, uh, there's a, a series of Newton near Newton Galley, so crossing over from Newton Galley, Copeland Street was a street. There was a party there, I remember that, and then um, drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting into an altercation, these guys. Has, I had. A, I was trying to grow a beard in the day. Yeah. And I remember being involved in a in an altercation. I'm watching. There was two island guys and a, an island girl there. And I was. A, I, so they asked me what I was doing in the neighbourhood. So they didn't ask me straight out. They were hassling me. Oh, okay. And I was like, you know, it was banter, I think. But then you know, I went up and so oh, hey, you know, clarify what's going on. Who are you? What, what are you having? He hasn't hassled me. And I got decked. Pretty much, I still remember the guy. He knew what he was doing, and there was he was rapping his. I watched him rap his knuckles with a bandana. I was thinking, "You're going to hit me." And then his <laughs> one of the other his mate said something, and I turned, and then bam, it was on. Wow! So, um, so it was around that time. Then you thought, 
might have to uh, start some type of training or... Yeah, 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 exactly that. You know, like I thought, shit, you know, that punch should have been obvious. I should have been able to do something in that situation. I mean, I got kicked unconscious. Um, and basically that was because when he hit me, I tried to stand up and have a go and just got kicked in the face. Oh, jeez. But that <laughs> is what it is, you know. But um, being able to stand up actually is a technique in itself. It sounds silly, but if you're knocked down, there's a good way to stand up and there's a foolish way to stand up. Sure. So leaning into the your hands and, and putting your face forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're actually vulnerable to a yeah. kick to the head. So how old how old were you when, when, when that was, uh, oh, was when probably, that happened? Probably late teens, early twenties. So like what? Eighteen, nineteen years old? Yeah. 18, roughly? Yeah, yeah. Like this, yeah. Okay. And then so then and where, started, where where did you find yeah, that oh, training? So that I was year? casting around looking for what I wanted to do. Wasn't that confident physically in terms of you know, jumping into a boxing ring, although I did go to a couple of boxing clubs a little later on. Uh, and just made a mind Kelly who was into Aikido, and, and, but they didn't work out. But I, I remember casting around thinking, what I want is an art that has some grappling and some striking. And there wasn't MMA back in the day. They didn't have that. So I was looking around, and I saw a poster in Takapuna, and it advertised Shurinji Kempo, and it said that it had striking and grappling. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought, that's what I want. I want something that involves... Uh, you know, stand up striking and, and some grappling. What I didn't appreciate was that the grappling they offer is Japanese stand up jujitsu. It's not the Newaza. It's not Newaza. Not like BJJ. Nope. No. They they have a strong emphasis of get up off the ground. And I didn't appreciate the worth of that. I think as I started training, but that idea of trying to—I mean, a lot of fights go to the ground. I think it's worthwhile having ground skills, but okay. you want to try and avoid that. And that was their emphasis. They teach a lot of get up. And, you know, I didn't appreciate that when I first started training, but that ability to get up, to roll into a stand position, you know, cover your head and stand, or even fight from a kneeling position if you have to. Okay. But don't don't go to the ground, you know, unless you're in a position of control. So <clears throat> so then that's um, <coughs> that's really interesting. So, so you're... Your first exposure to Shirinji Kempo was was a guy called Stuart Ogg. So he was running uh, his own branch in Takapuna, quite a charismatic character. Like he was a bit larger than life. Mm -hmm. He had dedicated himself to learning this particular art and was quite good. So there's a guy, it was training in the Takapuna Public Library Hall that was close to that first off. And so I met a few characters who were there. A guy called Darren Louie was, who's now running the North Shore branch, uh, he was training there, and a couple of his friends. He's a lovely, lovely man, um, and he's been doing it for a long time. Okay. So I started training under Stuart Ogg, uh, and, you know, I, he was, he's a character. He's a character. I mean, that idea of a bit quite formal style, though, not, a, not an informal style. You know, you have your belt system, and you, mm. they have the philosophy of what I didn't appreciate at the time. Actually, it's as much a martial art, to develop the individual through spiritual and physical practice. So it's actually, the fighting side is only one part of it. So a lot of it is meditation and the idea of trying to develop resilience through sustained practice. And I'm not <laughs> not particularly good at that, but I've been doing it for a while now in terms of carrying on training. Yeah, but who is? And I think that the long-term pursuit of those type of goals are what create 
the desired outcomes in the end anyways. Yeah, and you can only appreciate that actually after having seen the results of consistent training. You know, like I've stepped away a few times and then come back and people who are still training, you can see it. And it's a good thing to have as an anchor. And particularly because it sets a series of steps which are doable and measurable. And you can see your way forward through a system and a syllabus that's been designed to try and develop individuals. So would it be fair to say that on and off then you've had engagement with that style of martial arts for what, over 30 years then? Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I've trained, I trained with Stuart for quite a while, and then um, because I was living in town and he was in Takapuna, okay, I, yeah. I ended up getting him to introduce me to the Auckland Dojo, which was run by a guy called Peter Monk, who was a, <laughs> who was very authentic. Yeah, very authentic guy. He was um, went to Japan and studied full time in the seventies. Did some bouncing around Auckland. And he lived, he walked the walk and talked the talk. So he, he um, was very, yeah, very committed to it. And I still go down and, and see him now. Okay. So he's he's uh, in his 70s, but he's training out of New Plymouth. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, as an fluent in Japanese and went over there, lived and immersed. And he was one of the first foreign students that was accepted to train in Hombu, the headquarters. So this particular martial art is Japanese-orientated. Mm-hmm. It was uh, came out of the havoc of World War Two, so post-imperial Japan. The guy who founded the art, uh, Doshin So, was a disaffected Japanese citizen who had wholeheartedly believed in imperial Japanese philosophy. Was involved in some uh, underground work in China, so he went in there in terms of <coughs> trying to assist the colonization of of uh, northern. Um, Northern China by the Japanese. And then when that all fell apart, so did his worldview. And his realisation there was that doesn't matter what side you have in a conflict, the essentials of humanity are what, what, what will come out. So he saw people on both sides do horrible things and he saw people on both sides do really good things in, t- in situations of horridness. And he said, you know, he, his big thing was to try and cultivate the individual so that they can, in times of... of uh, distress or duress, they can try and do the right thing for, for people. The people, the people, it's all about the people. So he had an epiphany. And he used his, he tried to teach it, but he found out he could get people to listen more when he tied it into some of his martial instruction. So, okay. Mm. You you said something before that sounded really interesting to me, and I, I wouldn't mind extrapolating a little bit more about it, but sure. you know, we, we made that <coughs> connection point that when you start training in something that has built within it um, an ethos of uh, interpersonal development, resilience, you know, Mm. that old uh, adage, you know, uh, seven times fall down, eight times get up, (laughs) (laughs) you know, kind of idea. But, you know, when you, when you look at that, what, what other benefits do you think that, what do you feel the benefits are of you training in a martial art like that for over 30 years off and on, you know? Well, in terms of what people think about when they train martial arts, it's a little bit different. I've, I mean, there have been occasions, I mean, I've been disillusioned with it. I thought, oh, this is rubbish, this doesn't work. And then there have been uh, maybe two or three occasions where I've been in a situation and actually the fighting techniques that were utilised from Shirinji become very useful. And that's that, because I, I was disaffected with it for a while, I thought, this is... No, and it doesn't work. How yeah. can this work? 
but then being in a couple of situations where uh, these the body motion came out, the entrained, the ingrained, repeated motion, I didn't have to think about it. Uh, stimulus response stuff popped out, and it's like, oh shit, that it, worked. It was inside you. Yeah, yeah. Like without conscious, and because stuff happens really fast, it wasn't thing. Oh, I'm going to do A and then B. It's like, oh shit. There's a, a situation that's happened, and the response was, "Oh, it's there." And then, like thinking, "Oh shit, okay, the, that was that was interesting." So there's that part of it, the fighting part of it, which as you get older, you don't actually get. I don't see that as being very useful, actually, <laughs> like hurting people, but um, you know, or not having to hurt people. Um, but that idea of the camaraderie, the building of skills, the base humanity, the communication, the physicality of it, like actually addressing the physical. Uh, Person, you know, you are a person. You should exercise. That's a really good way of exercising, and an exercise that has uh, room for improvement. So you, you know, the, the idea of uh, is it kai, kaizen, the idea of continual improvement. So look at what you're doing. Can you do it better? Yeah. And then a lot of that one learning it, but then even trying to teach it or work in cooperation with people gives a different angle on it completely. I mean, you're a teacher. You you teach your system, and one of the things that I quite enjoy is coming to a different style of club and see how they do things. There's a formalist Japanese way, which yeah. I've seen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like I remember I trained in, in London for a little bit with Mizino, who's very quite a, a, a Japanese Guy, you know, Japanese, Japanese. He sounds, he sounds Japanese. <laughs> and, you know, that is interesting because they, they do a lot of that, the etiquette and the formality yeah. and stuff. And there's a lot of face. You have to make sure that the fa- you know your face is there. But that comes down to tidiness and uh, deportment, how you carry yourself, what you project. And I think that's that, that Japanese style, there's a lot of value in that, of how you choose to carry yourself. Um, uh, I remember one of the things, that, the first thing is start with your feet. And if you look at a good dojo, you watch how people, when they enter the dojo, what they do, whether they carry respect into the dojo, um, you know, other shoes, that idea of, you know, shoes being lined up, you know, the idea of getting changed and coming in and acknowledging that you're walking into a different space. And I found that in, uh, on the outside looking, that, that idea of having a space that is not sacred, but a space that is, uh, you know, what I mean, it's a, it's a dedicated space for training, and you've got to treat that dedicated space with respect. And as you get older, you can see why, because stuff can go wrong. Yeah. And if you don't treat that area with respect, uh, there are some consequences. You know, like that, not necessarily positive. Mm. So I think it's important to have the idea of a an or, uh, an order to that with with training. Do you think um, that your health is better off for having trained? Uh, questionable. I'm still carrying a couple of injuries, actually. That I, you know, like I've done over the years. Yeah. You know, I've done um, a bit of damage. Just you know. Uh, 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 yeah. But yes, yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm still training. So like, there's got to be said that. I mean, I'm not particularly elegant in my training, but I, I try very hard. I like. It's good to sweat. It's good to train. It's good to to try and the mind actually getting your head around. The techniques is kind of interesting as well. There's that whole part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely a positive in terms of health benefits. Even the idea, as simple as it sounds, and I know it's stupid, but that idea of breath, mm-hmm. the idea of the importance of breathing and the effect that breathing can have on your outlook and mm-hmm. your health, the idea of stabilizing thought through breath, mm-hmm. and you know, and particularly in the, in the chaos of, of if something's going on, being able to stop and breathe and think and. It's a it's a huge 
it's a huge topic and almost some people might say an industry now is just talking about breath and breath work right um and i think it's all good stuff anybody who kind of makes that connection with um their health breath and you know what road that might bring them down i I think there's going to be more benefits than um negatives for sure but um the thing that i kind of think is a little bit funny around some of that work is that um it doesn't anchor into anything functional if that makes sense right it's kind of like where um like one of the reasons why i like martial arts or in general Satan. I hope I don't make anybody too upset about this, but if I was to say draw a comparison besides uh, yoga, right? You know, yoga, and they do a lot of breathing, and they do a lot of stretching and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you definitely do get some health benefits from it. All good stuff, right? Yeah, I'm very positive about yoga. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I don't think any of them are really, like, that good. Um, <laughs> what like, do you mean? I don't understand. What's your point? They're not very functional, is what I'm saying, right? Oh, it's like, well, it's, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a lot of time for the yoga breathing, and there's a lot of knowledge there, a lot of very in-depth knowledge about movement. And I actually think if you you could, if you wanted to, you could associate that with the martial arts. I mean, not as obvious as warrior pose to, but functional movement in terms of flexibility, strength, and and breath work combining those i see yoga as having an association historically with warrior movement yeah um, no and i'm not disagreeing i guess like i say you know listen i don't want to discourage anybody and, and i want to encourage uh anybody or encourage people more i think it's all good stuff i guess what i'm trying to say is that you could probably get the same benefit, if not more, by pursuing some martial arts and gain a lot more functionality in terms of what you can do in the world. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, I guess that's what I was trying to, to say. But it's kind of a strange thing because, you know, I, I saw this number, and I don't know if it's a real number or not, but, like, the average percentage of a populace that has interest in doing um, martial arts training is around 3%. Um, it's a made-up number. I don't know if it's a real number. Yep. But... The type of person that seeks out that type of activity is not in the majority. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, obviously, with the world, you know, you, you surround yourself with, with similar individuals. So <laughs> I know quite a few people who, who are interested in, in, in martial arts and, and, and that. So it's a, I have a bit of a skewed perspective, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I mean, that's one of the things where, I mean, I think about when me and you became friends. You know, when I, I moved to New Zealand around 2011... And then um, uh, through work, um, one of the women at work, her husband was friends with you at one of your jobs. And they said, oh, you know what? You should uh, you should meet Tony. Like, you would really like Tony. You guys got a lot of stuff in common. And at the time, it, the connection point was um, because we both are homebrewers. We both like mm. making beer. Although I've been off that train for a couple of years now. But listen, on that side note, I'm going to come back, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then when we met, and we, you know, you remember you meet somebody for the first time under this premise, and like, oh, yeah, you should meet this strange guy. You've never mm. met him before. Who's this dude? And we hung out, and we had so many things in common. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you trained Dieta Ru, didn't you? Um, back yeah. Here, which is, I mean, again, the, a, a formal, a quite fairly formal Japanese art. It's a really weird, it was a really weird thing for me to fall into because, um, like some of my earlier experiences when I was training. So like for you having that judo experience, my early experience was uh, wrestling because Mm. there was a lot more um, wrestling happening in North America um, just through schools, right? It's a school program. I'd never wrestled before, but I had done sports before and I did really well with it. 
um, I just took to it really well. Mm-hmm. Wrestled for a little bit, and then, um, you know, as you do as an adolescent, um, things got a little bit shaky, you know, and then I stopped training and blah, 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 blah all this kind of stuff. Um, but as a teenager, I still had a big interest, and then I was always kind of scrapping with friends and doing this and sparring, and it was around that time, like, you know, martial arts are just, you know, that whole wave with Bruce Lee and like martial arts movies and then the action movies that we all grew up with and all these kind of things. Like it was just, it was a neat time to grow up, right? Because you had multimedia movies, books, um, all this kind of stuff. It was pre-internet. Like internet was, had not really arrived yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the interesting yeah. thing. I, I mean, that, that whole step with the internet and the availability of knowledge wasn't always that way. Like finding clubs, finding teachers who were authentic and and following through that i think is so much easier now i mean well i mean yeah and that that whole thing around authenticity and particularly around japanese martial arts it became this kind of weird thing because the internet ended up becoming like this place to not support clubs it became a thing to tear each other down almost right it's like oh your teacher wasn't the most authentic came from this lineage or whatever and um yeah a lot of people almost kind of really got wrapped up in that um but anyways, what I was talking about was just trying to, to share with you a little bit what that journey was for me in high school. I actually started out training in uh, karate is what I was doing. Um, what, what style? Uh, it was a style of karate called Shukokai. Um, and uh, same thing as you, right? You're like, oh, local. It was actually a guy from the UK as well. There you go. Yeah, all these kind of guys from the UK who you know, got exposure to Japanese martial arts and then went around and you know, moved countries and then, you know, what we would call a side hustle now they got the job they want to you know they want to build a club of a community maybe have a little secondary income kind of thing and they start teaching karate right um so that's how it started with me and then um uh where i was living in canada was uh, kind of uh, in the province of ontario uh, i went to high school in brantford and i went to university in st Catharines. so this uh training was in brantford Brantford and St. Catharines are just around like a one-hour drive away from each other, so they're not terribly far. Um, but I, I actually, against the wishes of my mother, I, I wanted to train martial arts, and my mom was like, no, you are not. What, what was her angle? She thought, you going to get hurt? Don't do that? I, I think she thought I was mischievous enough. <laughs> don't don't yeah. give them any weapons. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just thought, she just thought, well, you know, what good's going to come from um, fisticuffs, right? Um, and I think that's a pretty conservative view, and, and I understand that from a from a loving mother's point of view. But um, I don't agree with her. I think there's <laughs> I think there's a lot of good to come from uh, experiencing that. Um, I'm a big proposal. I'm a big big advocate for martial arts training in general. I don't care what it is you're doing. I think it's going to make you a better person. Um, but anyway, so I was doing that karate train, doing my thing, and then uh, there was also. The main instructor, though, coincidentally, was in St. Catharines. So when I went to university and I was living on my own, right, um, of course, I carried on with that training. Uh, That was with a guy by the name of uh, David Bentley. Um, And it was a really good deal because um, once I kind of connected in with him, where he was doing his training, he... um, had to go right past where I was living. So he used to give me a, a, a lift. He used to, I used to go meet him on the street. I would drive in with him. And then the deal was that 
well, I think it just kind of turned out this way, but he got me to help him teach some of the kids' classes and, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't a black belt, or you certainly. Did, you didn't make showdown? No. No, I never did. Ah. Listen, bro. Ah. Story of my life, okay? <laughs> training, training lots of different martial arts, but I've moved. I've moved and moved and moved and moved. Different country, moved here, moved there. Different group, you know? So it's just been... Uh, a long quest of training in different countries and different martial arts and never in one place long enough to, to, you know, uh, hang out and get any real certification. But anyway, so I was training, you know, doing that and really enjoying the training. And, uh, what sort of focus was, I know karate's have, uh, there's a great variation in style. So this what Okinawan or Japanese style. It was Japanese. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from, from my memory of it, the guy who, uh, started off, um, had some success doing some training in, in Japan. Um, and they weren't quite so far down the road as say, and I hope I pronounce this right, but uh, Kyokushin, which yeah. is much more of <laughs> a rough and tumble. Very brutal. It was very like, brutal it yeah. was kind of what I would equate as Kyokushin light, right? Okay. So um, you could do hitting to the body um, and uh, basically... You do anything you want to the body, arms, and legs, and just take it easy on the head. the face. Yeah, just take it easy on the face, okay? You know, the moneymaker. But, yeah, so, you know, we're doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And, of course, like, under a Japanese lens, you know, there were stances. You know, you're learning how to hit things, and you're quite stationary. But you're learning how to hit hard. What's your opinion of kata? I like kata. Mm. I mean, I think at the time, as a younger man, I thought, this is just a thing I do to make my teacher happy. Mm. Because it's a part that I need to learn. Mm. Uh, now, as an older uh, man, I think I view it differently now, but I don't train within a martial paradigm that does kata either. So to me, it's like I think of kata as a health practice and as a place to contain uh, teachings and truths of movements within martial arts that are uh, combative truths. That's how I view kata. Yeah, I find it interesting to look from the outside how a kata is made or why a kata is made and the idea of, of individual and group movement. I mean, one of the good things I like about seeing kata done well within our club is if it's synchronised. You know, there's a real uh, sharing motion, Yeah, the idea of shared motion where everybody you know, can be in the same kind of place at the same time. Mm. Uh, and yeah, definitely the learned movements. Um, so the, the yeah well I was going to go back to asking so you had to start in karate and then you went to daytra I don't want to interview you too, you too much about it well that's no, okay but, but like well the funny thing about the karate thing was so I did that for a while and then um, <laughs> Dave did what I would call is like the original sin but it was you know classic story him and him and his original wife got divorced you know and then next minute Dave ended up uh, hooking up with one of the girls in the club one of the students yeah well. yeah yeah and then you know whatever he's got you know uh you know you think about it, right you get divorced teaching martial arts now you got like a you know they were pretty big age difference i think okay. uh, she was like dave i i struggle to to remember what dave's exact age would have been i'm guessing he would have been around my age now maybe around 40 something 40 45 and i'm pretty sure that uh the the love interest at the time uh, would have been like around 25 or something like that, right? So it was about 20 year difference. Dave's getting his groove back, but not the first time in history. Yeah, <laughs> but then um, what ended up happening is that Dave's wife, because he had two children, I think, with her, and she 
picked up sticks and she moved to the other side of Canada to British Columbia to the West Coast. That's harsh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Dave then really didn't have much of a choice. He could either stay in Niagara or go with his kids. And so he picked up sticks and he moved uh, to the West Coast to follow with his family so he could stay in his children's lives. Anyway, so that was Dave's journey. That makes sense. And I, I, I... a couple of years ago, I looked him up, and I, I, he's still teaching down on the West Coast, which is cool. Yeah, so I don't know if I ever get a chance one day. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll be able to connect with him. Um, but um, anyways, he moved, right? And then uh, that kind of put the club in disarray because you had this guy. He was kind of a senior teacher, and he was there running it. Everybody was happy, and then he's gone. So um, one of his other students stepped in to fill the void, and it was around that time that um, I was like, oh, no, it's, you know. Not for me. Yeah, it's not for me. And then the other thing was that I was a little bit, I wouldn't say, mm, I hope disenfranchised isn't too strong of a word, but I was like, is this what martial arts training is about? Is this what I want? Do I want it to be uh, a sporting endeavor or am I looking for uh, deeper meaning? And I came to the conclusion that for whatever reason, with Dave leaving and with the other teacher coming in, I was looking for a bit more of a way of life, you know. I was a young man, I was looking for some uh, meaning and purpose, and I was really uh, wanting to find that through some martial uh, training. So originally... I'll segue back to this, but I think that's an interesting thing, the, the idea of that, and the dangers in that, and particularly with charismatic teachers where it becomes a cult of personality. Yeah, so it can so. be. Yeah. Anyway, Kerry, move forward, to, I'll come back to that a little later. Yeah, well, anyway, so... For whatever reason, I was really hot on wanting to do Aikido because... Steven Seagal. Like. <laughs> well, it wasn't really because of that, but you know, reading some of the philosophies that came through, um, to me, it was it was an interesting premise, and I thought, okay, you know what? I like that. It seems kind of like a higher calling, and it seemed kind of cool. So I was, I was looking for it. Couldn't find it. What I did find was um, Daito Ryu. Yeah. Which was really, really quite uh, unusual. Will, will your listeners know the connection? Okay, maybe you should, yeah, spell it out a little bit. So, um, the, this, this the, o- yeah, the. O sensei studied Teotoru, one of the arts he studied before he formulated his own art of Aikido. Yeah, that's right. So, essentially, he was a. So, Wishiba sensei, or O sensei from the Aikido perspective, was a teacher of Daitoru, um, and then he basically took that core curriculum, softened it, um, turned it into Aikido, um, and then ran away and made a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. Don't do upset people. I don't know whether he made a lot of money. The idea of him living in this community. What I do find fascinating coming from a, I come from a Catholic background, and when I look at the martial arts, and I look now particularly at the debate between the idea of spiritualism and martial arts. You know, the idea of of Zen. My martial art is associated with a philosophy. Uh, I know. Um, Aikido is definitely associated with philosophy as well. Mm-hmm. And I've met a few people who've trained. There's some very good people in Auckland who've been training for a long time in Aikido. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's a very strong clubs here. Mm, yeah, there are. Yeah, I met a couple of great teachers. Um, but anyway, so, so it kind of, co- like, you're talking about, like, time periods in your life. So I was going through university, right? So I had a stable four- or five-year period in that area mm. where, you know, you're a student, right? So you got time to pursue some interests. Yeah. yeah, right? So, I mean, you know, no kids, no serious partner, none of this, none of that. So, um, yeah, I ended up training in that martial art for about five years. Um, and 
I don't know. I reflect back on it, and I think I got a lot out of it. But at the same time, I don't know if I had the the ability to critically view what the training methodology was and all this kind of stuff because, you know, like you're in not small-town Canada, but, I mean, it, it is what it is. You, this is what's around. You only have so many choices, right? Yeah. Um, and you don't have a wide access to information like you would today to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's what this is, that's what this is, that's what this is, you know. So you kind of fall into what you fall into and you do your best with it. Um, but anyways, so that's where that kind of training came through. And it was a pretty traditional methodology, um, you know, traditional to the point that um, they take you through, here's one technique, and then you train that one technique for, I don't know, three months maybe. So it becomes interval. Yeah. So when you talk about like getting muscle memory in, yeah. Um, that training that I did, that because that was such a slow process to go through those individual things, um, that's a part of me. I can I could right now take you through and I'll show you exactly what it was because I did it so many times, right? And there's something to be said for that repetition, although inside it, it can be a bit boring. It's hard when you're learning something like that, eh? You know but I, I, I suspect that's all part of it, you know? And Get I, through I, that, yeah. And I also think that that training methodology, like, you got to understand, it's a whole different ballgame for those guys. They're not training to try and get lots of students. Well, I don't think even money is the goal. They're, no, they're training to get rid of people. <laughs> so you're only left with the essence. Eh? Yeah, like, that's, like that's, that's a pretty hardcore point of view, but that's how they were. They were training to get rid of you. They didn't want. They didn't want anybody around that wasn't like hundy in there. Yeah, one hundy, right? They gotta, you know, be in it to win it. Um, so, anyways, I mean, I think overall, I reflect on. I think I'm happy I did it. But um, when my life path took me to move overseas, um, well, that was it, right? You're off and away. Yeah, yeah. I find that interesting. That idea of. Choosing, choosing or not, yeah, what are the motivations behind it as well. Like that, yeah, you know, get rid of the people on the way. And that idea of like, oh, this secret technique, you know, you get all of a sudden you get initiated into this part. But actually it's gradual steps. Well, do you know though, like that, they, that they talk label, about yeah. secret techniques and it's not, it's training methodology. And, yeah. and I, I agree. I because agree. like my transition after uh, doing Daito Ryu and then moving around different countries, right, Um the martial art that was accessible to me was within the sphere or the canon of Aikido um, and then sometimes Hapkido because uh, I was living in South Korea at that time. But there was no secret, secret technique. It's just Daito Ryu, if you can talk about application of technique. If and, and, Aikido has a, a wide... Some people may understand this or not. You know, big circle versus small circle in terms of application of technique, right? So... Um, when you're dealing with people's bodies and wrists and uh, tendons and stuff like that, if you want to be kind to them, you do the mo- the movements and the techniques in a wider range of motion that's easier for the person to... Uh, accommodate. Yeah, accommodate <laughs> and receive. Yeah. If you want well, to be more martial, you go smaller, cir- smaller circle, more yeah. in, yeah. more to the ground, and essentially you're trying to break them. Mm-hmm. So Daito Ryu is like small circle. Mm-hmm. Um from their perspective, um, even like the methodology, you want to keep everybody's health intact when they're talking about the what they're all about. Yeah, they're 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 there to put a hurting on you, okay. Um, 
Whereas Aikido is all kind of not that way, right? So just as a tangent from this one, how do you feel about pain? Oh, jeez. How do I feel about pain? Good teacher, I try to avoid it. Because <laughs> that's one of the things that's interesting is actually in, in terms of training, you actually have to encounter and deal with uh, consistent pain. Like the idea of having the locks applied. And well, thrown. and this is the thing, right? So now that I'm a little bit more doing a different martial arts type of training now, um, my view on it is very different. And I think back on the training methodologies I experienced, and I think, well, what's the point? Because you're getting injuries. Yeah, kind of say damage is the yeah. way you want to avoid and in I, long term. I, yeah. And I guess in some respect, if you're going to go down that road to f- pursue that knowledge, well... You're going to take some lumps, <laughs> yeah. right? You're like, hey, you want to play wrist lock games? You're going to yeah. win wrist lock prizes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's pretty much it. Um, I just kind of think now for the kind of work that I do and the the kind of martial arts I do, that only about like 10% of that body of knowledge is what bubbles up spontaneously in the work I do now. And the rest is very kind of far-reaching um, niche knowledge um so but that being said when it does come up it works and like people who haven't had that training exposure and this is just my experience working in 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 this club now here you know for what i don't know but the last six or seven years people people get surprised when when i put it on them they're they're like what are you doing that hurts stop it (laughs) Because that's the thing. I mean, having once you know which way it's going to go, you can see before it's on, if it's on. Some of them don't even know no. what's happening. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, it's like the same thing. You know, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? Um, yeah, but anyway, so that, that was, um, I don't know how we got on that kind of segue, but that's how I got that exposure to that. So, um, and then the rest of the, geez, I don't know, the last 10 years and not 10 years, 10 years before that, was um, moving around in between like South Korea and Canada. And the thing that I always found in common that was easy was falling into an Aikido club. Mm. But Aikido was so fragmented that every place I went to was a different organization. You would show up, um, put on your white belt. That is like, again. That's like dusty and <laughs> almost black at this point because it's the same one I've been training in for years. And then, you know teacher meets you doesn't know if you're going to stick around doesn't know who you are doesn't know if you're well behaved or not all they know that you just look kind of ragged and when they put you in with their students you know you're not you're not flopping around you seem to behave yourself so my experience was all these different clubs i would go into they would just put me somewhere in the middle because they didn't know what to do with me right they're like well you're clearly not a beginner and i'm not gonna give you rank because you just walked into the school so same thing just pitch it in the middle but that ended up being i don't know kind of frustrating for me because i moved so often that i just got perpetually stuck in the middle it was just kind of shitty yeah i remember being disenfranchised a little bit from well in my own development from the from the you know where do you go through those sometimes for me it was a you know am i doing what is what i'm doing with well um have you ever done, I suppose, for wrestling? I'm just thinking for me, the, the, the interesting one was when I started doing a bit of boxing and the, the methodologies of training in that, they have set techniques, you know, but it's what works for you. Like, 
play with it. See what, see, you know, like if you're going to throw you, you know, like they'll give you a syllabus, but it's in no way as rigid as the the Japanese. You got to do this, this, and this, and here's this, this, and this. Like the idea of making it your own becomes much more imp- important early on. I mean, a good coach, I think, is, is brilliant. They can show you what you can do, but it's your body, you know, your techniques, and being able to develop yourself with a bit more personality into it. You know, this is what works for me in this situation, pressure, te- pressure testing stuff, as opposed to here's a syllabus that we're going to walk you through, and these are some steps. I found that quite an interesting juxtaposition, if I can throw that word out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, um, it's kind of interesting, like, when you talk about most people's exposure to uh, martial arts, it's often through um, a Japanese or a Chinese uh kind of cultural context right Mm. and it brings with it its own cultural nuances but it's interesting because it's outside of your immediate culture most of the time yeah do you know what i mean definitely yeah Yeah. and so um i often kind of think that brings about some unusual weirdness um that i've had to unpack myself right you know it's like yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a place for it, but I think a lot of people get lost in it. And then that, I call it playing samurai, right? It's yeah. like when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you start to, you know, have tea ceremonies at home and you never used to and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's like, you know, you're, you're diving in a little bit too much into an esoteric kind of place, right? Where you can, you know, almost kind of go into an echo chamber. It's, it's almost like confirmation bias, right? Because, um, you know, it's the only thing you're looking at and it's the only culture you're looking at and it's out and where I think it becomes a little bit harmful is that it can be outside of your own day-to-day normal existence, right? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that's different. I mean, there's a few... Just, just yeah. The idea of the, the intrinsic value of something that's different. Is, is, that val- is it, in its sense, valuable just because it is different? I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, buying into a charade, uh, the idea. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So what other clubs did you experience when you came back to Auckland? I know you... Oh, how did you start your your journey with this club? Yeah, so... Um, Can we say what this club is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, I'm training right now um, out of the uh, uh, the Sistema Auckland Club. Um, the teacher is Lauren Clements. Um, and I started training with them. Because when I moved to New Zealand, I kind of didn't have any context in terms of what I wanted to do. Um, and so I just did what I'd done before, and I tried to go into a couple Aikido clubs. And I trained for a little bit, but I ended up kind of similar to you, almost kind of thinking like, oh, I just feel like I was doing the same thing. And um, one of the criticisms that I was having through that type of martial paradigm was that um, I felt a little bit locked in to the training methodology of saying, this is the technique, do it this way. And then I, I was at a point where I was like, well, I want to I do the stuff where it goes wrong. Yeah, okay. Like I'm yeah. I'm I'm tired of doing it under these are the parameters. I've been doing this for years. And like it was my own stuff, right? Like, you know, you can't fault the teachers or the clubs for it because they're running their their, their schools. But just for what my particular um exposure was and you know, I, I was starting to kind of get frustrated with it. And I was like, why can I go into a judo club and then um do some randori, which I really like. I think that's really really helpful or why can I go into a BGJ club and then have a role right and then have a have that experience why when I walk into an Aikido club um, can I not do that under the premise of like oh I'm sorry somebody might get injured 
And so I was starting to get frustrated with it. And I actually stopped training. I was like, well, this is bullshit. I was like, that's absolute bullshit. I don't want to do this shit anymore. I'm tired of it. <laughs> All right? I just stopped. Um, and uh, I ended up um, taking a, a shift in job. So um, when I first moved to New Zealand, when you first met me, um, I got hired on working as a probation officer. And then um, one of the jobs that I pursued was to go work in the prison system. And of all the prisons that I could choose from, the one I decided to steer towards was uh, Perry, um, which is New Zealand's only maximum security prison. Mm. Um, There's a connection between the art I study and one of the uh, people. Yeah, with uh, with Tom Sherlock, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe you can tell some stories about that. But, um, you know, it's really funny. I never, ever had an opportunity to talk to Tom about it, but I really like Tom. I, I think he's he's a really great guy. He's, he's a character. And yeah. And has carries a mana. Yeah. But anyways, um, long story short, I had never worked in a prison before, ever, let alone a maximum security prison. And... I will share with you, Tony. <laughs> there are some scary people that are locked up yeah. in Perry. And so I'm in this environment. And like I, I start off, it was in the old Perry, in the old blocks, in the maxi blocks. And, you know, you're working in, you know, Alpha Bravo, Charlie Delta um, in this old 1970s prison. It's all concrete, cold and dark. And... Yeah, like it was, a, it was a pretty intense place. Like if you'd never worked in a prison before, like it's it's a pretty hectic environment to step into. And so, because I had come, essentially, because I had the the work experience that the team wanted at the time, they put me right into the maximum security area to work with those prisoners. And so I was like, oh, okay, wouldn't you be okay? Well, anyway, so, I mean, sorry, how I got involved with the club, I wasn't training martial arts. I started, started okay. working in Perry, and I thought, oh, I think I better, I better start training again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, you know, like, it was a really hectic place, and I thought, this is, not, this, is not the, this is not the environment where you should be taking it easy. No, the idea of having uh, a, a set of skills that you can refer to. Yeah, and, anyway. and, and just to, to kind of clarify for anybody listening, I was not working as a corrections officer. I was working as a, as a case manager. So it was more doing kind of um, risk assessments, writing parole boards, but you're having to meet with the guys and all stuff. So you're right in the mix with it, though. You're going out to the units. And then the other funny thing about it was that everybody else has stab-proof vests. <laughs> You don't, <laughs> and I don't. Man. And I'm like, well, why? Why don't I get one? They're like, well, because you're not you're not a corrections officer. I'm like, well, thank you. Well, yeah, but people bad things happen in the same places. We're we're all mixing around. So, um, I, I, for whatever reason, I just thought, you know what? This environment is not the environment where I should be not training. If anything, I should be training more. And so, um, I had had. I'd had, like, in the periphery, I knew that there was uh, other martial arts there, and I was trying to make a decision what I wanted to do. Um, And for whatever reason, um, I started gravitating towards looking at Russian martial arts, and I had that kind of exposure through judo and sambo and stuff like that, and so I always had a bit of interest that way. Um, But um, then I started looking up, and then when I started looking at it online, like most people do, there's just so much weird stuff. When there's you, a bit of woo-woo attached, man. And yeah, I, yeah, there's just so much weird stuff. And, like, in the beginning, I was looking at it, and, like, anything I could find was, like, all guys in, like, uh, military uniforms you know, with, like, yeah. combative shovels and, like, 
you know, rifles and knives and stuff. Spit, and like, Spitznitz. Yeah, and, like, really weird camo. And I was, like, looking at it. I was like, oh, man, like, I don't know. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, I'm not in the military. I'm like, why are all these guys wearing camo? All this kind of stuff. And then, um, anyways, then long story short, I, I reached out to Lauren. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just go book a class. And um, it was it was really great. It was n- all the ideas of what I thought it was, it wasn't. Um, mm. And so... Yeah, um, having come and come and trained with you a couple of times, I've, I, I find some, there's some really valuable stuff. I begin if you start looking on the internet, there's a fair bit of woo woo attached to Sistema. There is, but, but if I having experienced the idea of the the ideas behind the training, I think there's a lot of value in it as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and and a degree of practicality that is not apparent. Yeah, and like I said, I, I think you got to train Immediately, it. And I think, you know what, the it's kind of hard because for as much as going online and looking for information is a very powerful tool, a lot of people need to understand that there's a lot of misinformation mm. and misrepresentation as well. And so if you want, you'll find what you want to find on the internet because your own bias will lead you to it. If, if, if you make sense. Yeah, and, that makes sense. I understand. Yeah, and most people don't, most people, unless they kind of have a think about it, don't realize that about themselves, right? Is that they will just by clicking along what they think is neat, they that will, will find, yeah. they will yeah. find themselves to confirm what they think is right or not, unless they have a bit of a critical eye, right? Um, but anyways, yeah, I digress. So that's a little bit about, um, about that. I've been doing it for, you know, oh, geez, I'm trying to think now. Um, six, seven years now training with the club, um, and, uh, helping out and, and teaching on the Saturday. Um, and it's been a real good thing for me. Um, and my health has never been better. Um, and in terms of, um, having to make use of these skills that I'm, I'm training and developing, you know what? I've never, ever, it has never happened how I thought it would. Right. Like you think, oh, you know, you train and you have this idea there's going to be a confrontation or this or that or whatever. And honestly, the the most valuable things um, that I've gotten out of it that I've had to put to the test in a really difficult situation is just breathing, staying calm, staying in control of the situation and getting out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was going to say one of the things I admire about how you deal with people is you have an open and honest interactions so if anything does go sideways the idea of it's not going to come from your part you know you i don't think you want to hurt anybody in any of the situations no, no, of course not no. you just want to <laughs> get out right yeah 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 and so like i said you know a, a lot of people um i think especially when they they start martial arts training i have this idea you know people walk through different doors mm-hmm. when they they want to pursue something like martial arts right um, and some of those doors might as well have a label above them that say fear. I was going to say, one of the things that I find interesting, I was going to ask you about that, your idea of what fear is and the, the idea of confronting fear. This is what you're talking about, like you're dealing with your own fears as you do your martial arts, or you want to instill fear, or you want to find your way past fear? I would say that one of... From my understanding, right, of uh, my training in pursuit with Sistema, one of the overarching goals is around getting rid of your fear. It's interesting you say that. I remember having a chat to one of the guys that was in a club, and it wasn't my club, it was a group club meeting, and there was a guy who was, I don't know, he was a 
re, in the middle ranks and he was talking about it. He said, oh, I really hope that, you know, what's it like if you're ever in a confrontation or whatever? And I haven't been in many. I'm not a fighter. You know, I've been in a couple of situations. But the biggest thing I remember saying to him was, you're going to have dealing with the, the fear and having the ability to act and do something is kind of, you don't even think about it, but actually if you want to try and act appropriately in a situation like that, it's kind of, that's the big thing. Yeah. And that, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and that's different for different people, right? You know, that can be, um, they're, fear, they're, they're fearful that they're going to get hurt themselves. Some people are fearful that they'll hurt other people. Mm. You know, it, it's different. But coming back to, to, the, to the metaphor I was talking about is that when people want to start a martial art, People start it for different reasons. And I metaphor, like as a teacher, I try and think about it. Like when I meet a new student, what do they? I spend a lot of time to think, what door did they just walk through? Because they came here, they had to walk through a, 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 an entry point. So yeah. where, why are they coming through? Did they get beat up? Yeah. And they want to learn how to defend themselves. So they had a, a borderline traumatic experience. They feared for their life. They felt weak. Um, they want to get strong. They think that if they learn martial arts, they'll be able to defend themselves and that won't happen again. Some people come through the door of health. Some people think, you know what, this might be really good to help me lose weight or to uh, strengthen my body or to get stronger or this or that, right? Um, Some people um, are interested in experiencing a culture in a way outside of their own, right? So for example, um, if I was to say, you know, you could choose to, to train a Japanese martial arts. Some people would say choose to go study kendo or yaido. Mm. Now, again, that's a very specialized pursuit because you ain't walking around with samurai sword <laughs> on your hip, right? <laughs> um, so why why do you pursue that? So some people want it to be a spiritual. Uh, they they like it. They want it, the history. They want the culture. They want all these kind of things. And of course, you, you talked a little bit. Or around the community that can revolve around it, all this kind of stuff. But again, different door, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I think there's something to be said about that in terms of um, you know where you go through, and then I, I think there's also something to be said about once you walk through that door, you may be able to close it, and you may have addressed it, and now you got to walk through another one, you know. Um, and I think there's the, the, it's a nice metaphor I like to play with when I'm, I'm talking with students and trying to understand where they're at and what they're trying to get out of their training. Um, I mean, within my art, that's specifically addressed after showdown. Like, obviously, there's a process. The people are aware who've done a syllabus that there are those doors. And you, I think they should be addressed, right? So what are your motivations? What are the motivations for the establishment of an art? What are the motivations an individual has for continuing to study the art? Because obviously some of the first motivations you have coming through that door yeah. are going to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I think it's a helpful thing to think about and understand. Um, and maybe for anybody who's listening who uh, is thinking about doing a martial art, it can be a helpful thing to uh, think about what you want to get out of it, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> I still my brother, who was he used to enjoy fighting a lot, and he chose the combat sports, you know. And, and I, I just I remember that it's a you know just enjoyed the physicality of of the combat. Actually, yeah. fight, and it's effective arts, you know, the, the Muay Thai and stuff, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, um, like I said, you know, I talk to most people and. Um, what it meant to them in the beginning, and if they pursue it long term, the meanings changed. 
mm. right? And stages of life as well, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. Having been through your, your own stages of life, having being able to share some of the lessons you've learned. Uh, we had a little chat before we started this about the idea of uh, children involved. I had a friend who'd asked me, the kid was me, the kid wants to get involved in martial arts and they knew that I trained. So I said, oh, you know, what's a good martial art to start to train in? And I was like, oh, my goodness gracious me, can of worms there. And I started thinking about, well, for, for children, what do, what do children want to get out? What, what is the door the kids are walking through? Right? And, and Well, I think, it, I think it's, you know, I, I think there's a little bit too much. Um, there's been this kind of conversation or argument on um, are we trying to keep our kids too safe and too protected, right? It's the old wrap them in cotton wool kind of argument where um, there's concern that, you know, something might happen, they might get hurt, there's liability attached with it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're to the point where, you know, again, I don't want to speak in broad strokes. I guess I, I, I have a general sense of it, but I think that some children growing up um, are being regressed in terms of their development by not getting exposure to enough rough and tumble um, in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, you know, that conversation, what's good for a kid, you know, or a young kid, you know, what do you want to do? And, you know, what we said, I thought, oh, well, I reckon the best thing is put him in, uh, put him in a youth judo program, which I, is ironically <laughs> brings us right back to what you started in, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having the conversation, the BJJ or, or judo, the idea, and what I like about having seen the capoeira as well, and, and talked to a couple of people, I remember working with a guy who was who first my first exposure to capoeira, and the idea of that play being such an important part, you know, coming from Brazil, which is, you know, that society has a lot of violence inherent in it because of poverty and, and some of the stuff going on. And the, their, their art, the, the way they teach that art, teaching music and dance, obviously because it was a hidden form, you know, they, they hid some of the violence through through dance historically, but that I, I love the way that they can use play as part of the form of what it is. And I think that's intrinsic in human nature, that idea of, you know, not... Yeah, I think and that's it's important to have no, that I, philosophy. And I see the same with the, the good BJJ clubs. I think that mm-hmm. idea of you know rolling is you're not trying to hurt anybody with it. It's well, you are, but you're not. not yeah, damaging. I mean, um, you're training skills, but I mean, and this I think this is one thing, and maybe we, we've edged up on it before, but I think one of the the best things that you get out of martial arts training is realizing this dualism between how strong you can become and how weak you are you know that mm. you become very Ooh, this sounds deep, deep. <laughs> it is, it is yeah. it's profoundly profound um it you know because you can you can pursue something like martial arts and it will make you stronger it will strengthen your body it will if you allow it as well you can explore dimensions and development of your psyche of your mind and if you believe in it your spirit okay um some people might say resilience Mm. other people might say spirit at the end of the day it's all kind of um people have different meanings based on their the lens they view the world and the culture that they come from okay but either way it's going to it's going to develop you but you also realize how weak you are now you may not advertise your weakness but you feel it when you're training, when you're working with somebody. You, they may not pick up on it, but you know, right? You're like, oh, if it was just an inch more, right? <laughs> that appreciation. Yeah, yeah. I, I always, that, that's one of the other things that always gets me is the resilience of the human body. And actually, if something goes wrong, 
the weakness of the human body. Things can change on a dime. Yeah, in terms of, of what happens or can happen, yeah. you know, and I, I that I it's an interesting paradox. Well, and then the flip side to that, right, is that you experience that inherently in yourself, right, because you have your own lived experience, and it's they're very potent learnings, and they're very potent learnings because they're direct and personal to you, mm-hmm. right. But the other thing you realize is that you need people to train with. That's right. Take care of your partners. That's right. <laughs> you you learn very quickly that oh, if I if this person gets hurt, I don't have a training partner anymore, and so this I think can be I won't say always, but it can be one of the the I don't know one of those things that you really start to to pay attention to how important people are and then the sense of community and then what does that mean how do you take care of people and then how do you do it in this context where you're dealing with really stressful situations right you know there's trust involved. I mean there's a circumstance that I was involved in recently where we had somebody who was coming to train with us who I thought their physical actions were inappropriate I mean, this particular person was Kentucky Giddy kicked to the balls and he was chucking that out a few times and I saw it him doing it and I just I was thinking do you know what you're doing because you're going to stop someone's either going to stop you because they know it's coming like or you you know you got to realise that if you do that no one's going to train with you kicking people in the balls is a legitimate technique but it's not something that you're going to be able to consistently do and have people train with you and you know the guy seems to have come around like uh in terms of like techniques that you can utilize within Randori that are okay, you know, but that that listening, that trust that comes around, goes around. I think what comes around, goes around. It's an important lesson for people to understand as well on the receiving end or the giving end of that, you know. So, yeah. Well, and I think as well, too, when you're dealing with um, any martial art that's going to allow you to experience discomfort, right, then um, you start to realize that too. And one of the best things you can do with um, somebody who might be a little bit overzealous in their application of martial technique is to allow them to feel it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is the the other side of it, though. I mean, that, and I know what you're saying, as a trainer as well, like if, if someone is going, if you're running a gym or part of a club and someone is going too hard, they may genuinely not realize. Well, you know, or, like, yeah. this just came up um, the other weekend. I was running a class here and, um, one of the the things will that is a, a kind of a, a part of sistema is around how do you uh, receive um, strikes, right? Everybody wants to everybody wants to learn dish about how to dish it out, man. <laughs> everybody wants to learn about how to put a hurting on somebody, right? And then all of a sudden they think, oh well, you know, I'm not going to get hit. I'm I'm Superman. And so mm-hmm. there's there's you know there's a there's a window we'll look through or a lens we'll look through in, in sistema. Like how do you actually receive a hard strike? And definitely worthwhile pursuing that, sir. I mean, they, uh, even if it's not openly addressed, it should be part of what you learn, right? Yeah, right, because you're going to get a hit, right? Going, so, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things. So, you know, I have my own approach about how I like to bring people through that. And it is actually very values-based. Um, one of the, the big things that I explain to people when they do it is whoever you're working with with your partner, one person's going to be receiving, one person's going to be uh, giving or doing the hitting. The person who's doing the hitting... Um, I explained to them it's that you're you're like a guardian for this person. You're trying to bring them to a place where they can experience some adversity and some discomfort 
um, but you're getting them to the other side and back, right? You got to take care of them essentially, Mm -hmm. which is a really strange thing because I'm hitting you, (laughs) right? But I'm not, uh, as I explained to people, you're not doing it in a way where you're trying to hurt anybody and you're also trying to take care of them. And then also actually interested, we talked about fear before, but I said, when you do it, you need to be very mindful that you are not putting fear into that person, that you are taking fear away. Because the whole idea about training to re- be able to receive a hit is that you want to be able to um, know that you can do it and be okay. Mm. Right? So when you're training it specifically about how to, rec- how to receive a hit and how to recover yourself in a, in a, in a fight, um, is that you want to train so that you're building confidence. The worst thing you can do is train somebody that they had a bad experience, right? And then they're, they're scared of getting hit again. Yeah, the flinch response. That's you, right. You yeah. can see the flinch. And you can see it when people come in to a dojo. If they've got a flinch response built in, you know you have to try and work past that to a degree because yeah. they've obviously got some sort of trauma or some sort of issue. From, whether that's now or well, I mean, I, I or think is it natural? I don't know. No, no, no. I, I, and I think the argument... And it's interesting, too, you talk about people who walk through, or sorry, I laid out that metaphor before, mm. talking about people come into martial arts training for different reasons. The other thing, too, is that different people have different uh, histories. Yeah. Right? And so sometimes people bring their trauma in the door with them. Definitely. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's a few people I can recall who walked in with a little baggage, as it were. Yeah. And how do you how do you work with that, right? I mean, it can be really tough. Um yeah, and you know, this is where getting to know the people you're training with, and and what kind of training you're doing, and then how far you go down that road, right? Because, um, you know, yeah, particularly in my experience um, in New Zealand, training with some people, there's some people who got some stuff in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that idea again of New Zealand being a safe and happy place. Mm-hmm. That I think there there's a lot of uh, undercurrents of violence in our culture that aren't directly addressed or not addressed in healthy or open ways. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of that stuff isn't talked about. But it's there, right? Well, it is. And I mean, you know, you, 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 run, you run into I mean, certainly for me, um, you know, again, going back to, to working in, in, uh, in Perry. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, like I said before, Perry's a maximum security prison. So um, for the average um, prisoner who ends up there, um, it's likely that they have uh, convictions for violence. But then when you talk with them, and yeah, it, it would be a part of my job and say, hey, listen, you know, where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? What was your upbringing like? Um, you know, what was this, That what was that? And um, yeah, really, really, really violent, abusive upbringings, right? Um, that is out there. You know, this is, this is the thing, you know, you're walking around, we walked, we walked before we did this podcast, we walked up to K Road, had a bit of a tiki tour, walk around. Maybe we walked by a couple hundred people. You know what? We don't know what those people's background experiences, psychology, how they view the world, all this kind of stuff. Because one of the, one of the powerful, most powerful learnings that I took away from my time working in that environment and talking with guys who did really bad crimes who really harm people, right? Some people killed them. You know, we're talking about murderers, rapists, gang guys, all kinds of stuff, right? Is that by virtue of their lived experience, their 
perception of the world is different than my than mine. Mm. We are operating from a different playbook, right? Yeah, um, the what is normal. That's right. What, what is, is normal. normal. And that's one of the most profound and powerful things that you can realize is that your normal is not everybody else's normal. And a lot of people think, oh, I see it this way. Why don't you see it that way? My, your normal is not everybody's normal, right? And when we're talking about um, uh, martial arts or self-defense or violence, you know, if you encounter somebody like that who doesn't have any perception of what's right or wrong that is a shared value amongst you and you're not ready for that, you're in for a tough day at the office. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah. It makes my head flick back to a couple of experiences. And well, when you shared that story around um, the first time you got knocked out when uh, you're in that neighborhood, right? Mm. You know what, Tony? When I was 17 or 18, and if somebody was in my neighborhood, that was not in my playbook. <laughs> Okay, like so seriously, it's, it's a good example, right? Because I would be like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" And maybe I would have said, "Okay, well, get out of here." I don't think I would have been in the can of like, "Hey, distract that guy," so I wrap my knuckles in a bandana so I can <laughs> knock this guy out. It was late at night. There was drinking involved. I don't think I was a saintly person at the time. Okay, um, but yeah, as as a reaction guy, wouldn't be my go-to. Yeah, you know, um. That then again, it, sometimes it's good to make sure that your uh, reality is aligned or you're aware of other people's impact, you know, the, the reality of other people, can, how it can impact you. I just think it's a, it's a helpful thing because, like I said, you know, when, when – because we're talking about martial arts and training and what we hope to get out of it. But you know what? You can train martial arts for a long time and not talk about that. You can, you can train martial arts a long time and not get hit. Yeah. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of very strange pathways that you can walk down in martial arts training and not deal with the actual inherent nature of violence. Right. Um, and you know, that makes sense. And like I said, you don't want to live in that place all the time in your training because you, you would never train long term. Yeah. Right. I mean, I always find that interesting that actually the martial arts does address a very dark part of the human psyche. It's violence. And how you choose to deal with that horridness, uh, I think, I mean, it needs to be, it's some, I don't know. It is a hard thing. Violence is essentially kind of hard. So having uh, a par- parameters with which to address that systematically, I don't think that's bad. But you can get into the darkness. If all you want to do is enjoy hurting people and then you train at being good at hurting people, I think that's pretty negative. But if you can look at it as being part of who we are as humans and then take that to a point where it's actually used to develop you as a human, like you can acknowledge it, this is a dark part of humanity, and then say, okay, well, if that does happen or you are in a situation where that does come out, you know, what is the, how can that be utilised as a force for good in a way? Mm. I think that's kind of an important thing to have in, in your moral compass. No. Because, I mean, <laughs> I, I punching, agree. I punching agree. people in the face, right? Is that a hobby? I don't know. Well, no, I mean, and this is the thing, and I don't know. Uh, I, I, like I said, it's, a, it's, it's an important thing to, to kind of look at. I think for me, and again, being influenced by kind of uh, some of my exposure to uh, the systemic work, 
is that you need to be aware that um, that dynamic you talked about, right, in terms of, um, you know, what's dark and what's light. Mm. But I don't know. For me now, I think I almost just look at it, um, taking it away from a from an emotional kind of space. You know, you're just trying to do some work. You know, you're just, you're just dealing with stimulus. Yeah, for, for me now, I don't actually associate my training with <laughs> with violence, although it's punches and kicks and locks and throws. No, no, no. But it's, I mean, but this is the thing. Like, you can if you, if you let me kind of extrapolate the, the idea a little bit, like you can view it from a very emotional point of view, right? You'd be like, this is this is me. Like, this is my my this is my life. And you know, you're trying to harm me, or you're trying to take something from me, or you're trying to harm my family, or all these mm. kind of things, right? Um, that can be drop a really dark emotional reaction, right? Um, yeah. But one of the interesting things that I've experienced through Systema is that, you know, if you can remove yourself from that, you just kind of get very almost kind of uh, clinical about it. You know, one of the funny analogies I heard one time uh, from one of the, the, the main teachers in, in Systema, Vladimir Vasiliev, and I'm probably really hacking the, the quote, but it says essentially like, you know, if you're going to be a good martial artist, you should be like a plumber. Get the job done, bro. <laughs> yeah, he said. Listen, like you know, yeah. when a plumber when a plumber comes in comes into your house, he's not emotionally attached. He's to not emotionally <laughs> attached to what he's doing. He's not yelling and shouting and and flexing and doing stances. He just comes in very calmly, very quietly, very relaxed. He does the job. He cleans up his tools and then he goes away. And that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. But to get yourself in a position where you're dealing with a stressful environment. I think it does. Where that's where it hits the art form, right? Because you are in an intensely wide. Well, and and that's that's one of the things I appreciate around the the training methodology that you get exposure to in Systema is that. The and again, I use that word stimulus because that's the way I explain it. But they provide you safe environments to be able to um, experience uh, duress and stimulus, so that you can try and maintain your functionality. And I, I think that's a continual process of refinement and improvement of exposure to stressors and maintaining your own uh, functionality to just get the work done calmly right so you know we have different ways to do that uh breath work breath restriction um some of it is uh almost like uh introduction to pain compliance through um uh certain types of massage and stuff like that um introduction to pain compliant or pain ex- are they about pain tolerance Compliance? I wouldn't say like I don't know if I'm using the right word compliance or tolerance, but you know it's that idea that um, I can't remember if I've ever ever done it before you, with you, but you know, you're just laying down and like you think, oh, where's a spot that's a little bit uh, like oh, like my thighs, right? Like you, I carry tension in my thighs. If I lay down on the ground and you like jumped on top of my thighs, it would be very uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So you, know, you take a foot off and you lean and you start to put a little bit of pressure to the point that I edge. To the point where my nervous system discomfort comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my nervous system starts kind of kicking off a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of keep the pressure. I sort it out with my breathing. Over time, you do that in different ways, and you know, you, you start to actually kind of be able to maintain your functionality while doing different types of martial arts work. And that's what I mean about a systematic introduction to pain compliance or management. Um, akin to trying to become a plumber, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. I, I don't know if I explained it really well. I hear what you're saying. I'm the yeah. utilitarian part of it. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. often, th- when, you, when you look at what a lot of violence, particularly street violence, is with men, a lot of it's ego. You know, that idea of 
if we're talking, you know, like the, if it's not domestic violence, I don't know whether that's mm-hmm. ego as well, but, you know, that idea of posturing and ego being attached. And a lot of, if you being utilitarian about it, walking away. Mm. But very hard, to, uh, easy to say, very hard to do, I think, if you're invested in, in you know, your. Uh, yeah, if you're invested it's, in it's, it's hard. It's hard enough to do while you're sober and yeah. coherent, yeah. right? Yeah. Really almost impossible to do if you're under the influence, right? And this is what we say, like, you know, if you're going to go to town and have a couple of drinks, you got to really be mindful of yourself about where you're going and what you're doing, right? That tragedy of the death of the martial arts guy, the mixed martial arts guy. Well, I, I, I struggle to remember his name. He was a young guy, 24 years old, professional MMA fighter. Training um, partner at City Kickboxing. That's right. And... Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I, I really should. Um, Me too, and I, I apologize for that. Uh, yeah, uh, but so, you know that he uh, gets you know coward punched back of the head. Now I don't know what preceded that. I don't either. But I mean, an uncomfortable time in the morning, and that three or four in the morning, yeah. young guy out celebrating and just gets jumped. You know, but that ends his life. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that guy has all the martial arts training in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, a competent martial artist. And yet, and I guess to me, that is where you start to have the conversation around the difference in attributes you're trying to develop through a martial art comparatively to a martial sport. Combat sports, right? A different from a martial art. Okay, okay. A martial sport, huge advantages, right? And I will still wholeheartedly say that if you take a competent practitioner of a martial sport and put them in with a competent practitioner of a martial art, the person who does the martial sport is probably going to give them an ass whooping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in terms of what, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They are. Yeah. They are. Because they deal with resistance, struggle, strife. Their Athleticism. Con- their conditioning levels are yeah. better, all this kind of stuff. And the- But... If, if I can just kind of draw out the, no, the, the, if I can draw it out, martial sport is sport, and it is for a controlled environment. Now, in that tragic death of that young man in the Auckland CBD just a couple of weeks ago, that is not a controlled environment. No. The rules of that martial sport did not apply, and nor was he in that mind frame, right? And so to me, that's where I draw that juxtaposition is that a good martial artist is building up, to my mind, something that is functional across their life, no matter where they are. Um, and it doesn't necessarily reflect their ability. Okay, and okay, yeah, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. And that's a nice, um, that's a nice analogy to, to have. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop you there, Kerry. No, no, no. I, I, you know, I, 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 I think maybe it's a, it's a, it's a pretty emotive and, and sensitive issue, and I, I feel uncomfortable talking about it because that yeah, family is still probably grieving a little bit, yeah. um, and and we don't know enough about it. But um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things, you know. Uh, you know, everybody again. You you said it before, right? Is that people have a perception of what their country and their city and their community is 
until it gets shattered by violence or a crime. And I mean, I'm certainly cognizant of that having done the professional work I've done dealing with quite a lot of um, crimes and people who have broken the law and victims and having to look at it from all the different angles. The average person, I think, doesn't really understand what happens in their communities or, you know, they just, they don't see it. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's gone a bit dark there. Sorry, maybe we shouldn't have introduced that particular topic into the conversation. Well, you know what? The cool thing about having conversations, we can always steer it in a different direction. Yeah. I'll tell you what. We've been uh, we've been chatting here for about uh, almost close on ninety minutes. So I think what we're going to do is take a little break, and then we will be right back. Okay, guys. All right. So we just had a bit of a short break. Um, had a bit of a laugh talking about the dark turn the conversation um, uh, had. But you know what? It's not all dark conversation here in the Spirit Forge. <laughs> we try and find a bit of a balance. Um, and I guess, you know what, Tony? I'm, I, I'm happy that, um, that I have a, a good friend like you that I can actually talk about those things with because um, they are things that we need to... Um, I, th- I think you need to, to know about the good and the bad in life, right? And, you know, one of the ways that you can uh, help reflect and learn and become a better person is by having a, a friend that you trust and having a person that you know is a good person to be able to talk about the good and the bad. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, again, coming back to, if you want to turn it to the martial arts side of it, friendship is an, is an integral part. It takes friendship to a different level and that it's also, uh, obviously, that there's, Degrees of trust involved when you're training with somebody. Yeah, I mean, having the ability to—I'm quite happy to share stuff with you. You know, like I have a chat. You've <laughs> probably because you've, you've beaten me up and I've beaten you up a bit. You know, like that. There's <laughs> still remember the, there's some bruises. So uh, we we've abused each other and now we trust each other. Yeah, oh, okay, well, I get to, to a degree, there is a trust attached to that. Like I, I, I have a knowledge of who you are. I think there's. Uh, if you put yourself into a situation where you are, uh, you know, not fighting somebody, but whether it's sparring or training with them, you have a, you have an indication of who they are yeah. to a different level than in a conversation, right? So I, I know you through my conversations, but I also know you through how you move and react in in situations as well. Yeah, so, uh, so. yeah I mean, um, I, I I'm, again, like, I'm I'm starting to develop a, a bit of a. A terrible trend on this podcast of um, trying to remember famous quotes on the fly. <laughs> write it down, bro. Yeah, write it down. I don't know. I might have to, to be a little bit better with my uh, my research. But there's one that makes me think about that is that um, I, I, I want to say it's Aristotle or Plato, but I think um, so that you can learn more about a person by playing with them for one hour uh, than, men, than by talking with them for 10. Um, is that when you experience somebody in play, Right, mm. um, then yeah, you really get to find out who that person is, right? And that's interesting. With my kids, I like to build a culture of play. So yesterday, I was playing games with my girls. One of my girls was homesick yesterday. So just even sitting down, sharing activity where you know, we're playing a game and it was Connect Five, and you have these little revolvers. But it's good, you know, because your personality does come through how you choose to play or mm. tackle a task or interact. Because that idea of interacting with people, an intellectual level or uh, with martial arts at a physical level. Well, you know, I, it's I, important. I often make jokes about this, and um, <clears throat> anybody who knows me or knows me well. Uh, knows that I've I've gone to school, but I got I have a secret top secret first degree I did that I, is often 
kind of my, uh, I don't tell many people about it. But my very first university study uh, was in uh, recreation and leisure studies. And ah, well suited for that, Mr. Tyson. Well, you know. Well suited, yeah. And people say, what are you going to do with that, man? I'm like, well, actually, it turns out it's, it has been very relevant to me in different points of my life. And as I get older, even more so. But not particularly employable. Um, <laughs> well, the thing is, if you go and you engage people well, like I said, in the street where you have your interactions, you buy a coffee, you meet someone on the street. You, the idea of, of intent and, and recreation and play and, and yeah, it comes through. Right? Yeah, yeah, it comes through. Yeah. The point I was going to make is, um, I did specific papers about play. Uh, as a, for me professionally, I, I was a teacher. I had been a teacher for a long time. Yeah. Um, what I try to do if I want to make sure there's engagement in a classroom is games. Yeah. People people invest a lot a lot in themselves in the silliest shit if you make it a game. And if you part of that process is actually acquiring knowledge, yeah. the gamification is a huge part of how we operate and how we learn shit. Like uh, that idea of, of making stuff enjoyable and having a goal and mm. achievable rules such rules. I, yeah. I find it's a, it's a great tool. It's yeah. a great tool. No, it really is. Um, you were talking a little bit before about um, about your daughter. And um, I think, I wonder it might be interesting to talk a little bit because, you know, you've had such a long journey. Um, again, like we've been just looking at like a, a, a small little part of mm. who you are as a bigger person. You know, we're talking about um, how you forged yourself through the fire <laughs> of your martial arts training, right? Uh, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, my martial arts training, I, I don't actually view myself as a, as a martial artist per se, but I, I just because I happen to be doing it for so long, it comes into conversations. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, yeah, because I, 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 same, I, I don't put that label on myself either, but it's an important part of my life, right? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Um, but I guess what I would say is, or, or the question I was going to ask you is that as a father... And your, your your girls are pretty young yet, so um, you know not not at the age that you know. Well, actually, I'm just going to preface this by saying it's got to be such a hard job to be a father to daughters. I mean, because yeah. your your daughter's getting older. When about like five or six years, they're going to start bringing guys home. They're going to drive you crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, well, well, the big thing I'm trying to think of what I what I want to build in terms of character because a lot of the things they have their own character. Yeah, your daughters are great. I love their characters. Once, once, I've got to Rosie is nine until he's 11. And they both have their own character. But what I hopefully that I can help or uh, allow to express itself is adventure. You know, if they can, if they're comfortable and confident enough that they can set out on their own paths and build a, build a life that they're not scared to try stuff or do stuff, you know, and they're out there. Part of that. You know, it's physical. Like, I, you know, for me, I like uh, being in the outdoors. I spend a bit of time fishing and, and love camping and tramping and stuff. So with Tilly, I've had the chance to share a few opportunities. She's in the Girl Guides. Yeah. She, she loves that. And for her, camping is just, you know, part of the course or whatever. The other side of that is if you are going to go adventuring, you, you some at some stage you will have adversity, and that might be through people or situations. Fingers crossed it's not going to be through people but you know if you're going to put yourself out there and and have you know go to foreign places or do things in out there situations or you know even recreationally you may find yourself in a circumstance where you need to stand up for yourself or or get out of something or and i actually think that there's an important skill in that more emotionally or uh, intellectually you know i want them to be strong people 
Yeah. And that they're independent and they're not going to be easily led and that they can make up their minds and do what they need to do. In terms of skills for training, I had, like I said, I may have referenced this earlier in the podcast, but I had a friend of mine who's taught us about five or six and he had a hard time growing up. He was bullied. He talked to me about that the other day and I, I'm just some of the hideousness that fucking kids can do to other kids, man. It's like, ah, oh, fuck. Um, you know, he was talking about being cut box cutters and put in a locker and to, and he's a lovely guy you know he's not a he's not a bad guy but he's obviously on the receiving end smart guy smart guy but he's on the receiving end of some stuff that is uncomfortable to talk about i just like hey you went through that it's like fuck. yeah that's terrible but he man he's a lovely guy you know um his daughter now is saying to me you know he doesn't want her to be in a situation in which he has to put up with any shit and it's like oh you know Training martial arts. Do you have any recommendations? I was thinking. Well, the biggest thing, like, what would I, what would I look for for the kids? For for my kids, they are Tilly isn't actually into fighting. You know, Rosie is. You can see she likes to to wrestle and, and fight, and it's quite physical. She's into a dancing. She's into physical movement. You know, so for her, if she wants to take up some sort of training, I don't think it'll be a problem. She would have an affinity for it. But do you think like? as a father and as a person who's got a lot of benefit out of martial arts training, how much influence for you as a parent do you try and steer her to do some of that kind of training? Again, talking on the darkness side of it, I don't want to encourage her to be violent, uh, but I want her, if she needs to, to be able to do something if she has to. So what have I taught her? I've taught her how to throw a punch. (laughs) So, you know, the right hand, throw a straight right. I mean, she's not particularly competent at it, you know, but I didn't ex- wouldn't expect it to be. But she can throw a punch. You know, and I punch the arm. Oh, if she <laughs> if she hits me on the arm, I feel it. It's like oh, yeah. Well, if, and I want her to be able to realise she can if she needs to throw uh, uh, throw a shot. That's a good go to. You know, straight right hand, straight down the middle. Don't fuck around. Um, if you're going to have to deal with somebody who who is is in your way or doing something that um. Yeah, but you know, they, and then I guess that brings up the other question: is that. How do I say this? Will the child have a natural barrier towards wanting to learn from their parent? And would they learn more from an outside teacher in that domain? For sure. I mean, there's a a good friend of mine whose dad was into sailing. Mm -hmm. Loved, lived for, and breathed everything sailing. And I think part of um, my friend finding who he was was actually stepping out and finding his own interests. So if my interests are, you know, martial arts, that may not be in any way relevant to how they want to live their lives in any any way. Uh, it's it's hard, I mean, and and I can imagine, you know, if I was to view it through your your lens, it's a tough spot because you you have insight in terms of the good and the bad in the world, and you want to make your daughter stronger. And I think actually talking about the 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 lens or talking about the idea of adventure because life is an adventure, right? We well, it should be, right? What is it? Um, yeah. uh, who is it? Again, quotes you can't remember. Life is a great adventure or nothing. Helen Keller, is that the blind lady? Uh, she That life is a grand adventure or nothing. Uh, that idea we have one life, well, that we know of. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to put your best foot forward yeah. will involve risk at some stage, right? Mm. I think seeking adventure having a look around the world, uh, trying to find your place in it. Does this then, yeah, maybe become one of the real true challenges of being a parent is about trying to 
have opinions on what you think is important to make your children strong and capable yeah. as they go through the world and then potentially realizing that some of that might just be your lived experience and then how applicable is it to theirs exactly man. like my, the relevance of the life i led how would that be to my daughters yeah who knows yeah you know, things are changing fast but i also think that elements of the human experience of a thousand years ago two thousand years ago we can still find relevance of in writings or quotes, <laughs> Plato, Aristotle, whatever. You know, there's there's core elements of Shakespeare that are as relevant today as anything. You know, that's what is love, you know, the violence, love, life, making a living, betrayal, friendship, all of that is, is as relevant, right? So I think there are some things that cycle through the human experience. I remember talking to another friend of mine, uh, Bruce, who talked about softening the blow. As adults, we know that there are going to be some things that you're going to hit as you go through life. So in terms of what you're going to try and do to help your offspring, yeah, like, you know, do you try and soften that blow? The blow is going to come. You're going to get your heart broken. You know, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You've got to get yourself up. So how do you approach that? If you can see that this is going to happen, do you, do you try, the, the life will hit you a blow. Um, I mean, looking at Bill Gates, the idea, and thinking that he's not going to let his kids inherit his wealth. It's like, what do you mean? He's got billions of dollars. And I remember that little article, he got divorced recently, and there was contention over how much his kids are going to inherit. It's like, yeah, he's going to give them $10 million each. And I think that he's taking that decision because he can see the value of wealth, but he can also see the pitfalls of providing too much wealth. You know, how how like, rich is that guy when he's like his chump change to leave his, his children? Uh, Listen, you, you might struggle on this $10 million inheritance a little bit, but you know, you'll know you be all right. You'll, you'll be all you'll right. You'll be okay. Yeah. You know, but, but I think you can see his point of view, right? You yeah. don't want to make it too comfortable because part of the human condition is the dealing with the adversity. The idea that you're going to put yourself... In order to become a better person, you're going to have to challenge yourself at some stage. See, I think that's the interesting thing is that, you know, bringing it back to the martial arts conversation is that one of the ways that we have strategically chosen to develop ourselves is through that experience of martial arts training. And one of the biggest benefits we've received is how we deal with adversity as we navigate life. Now, the reason why I advocate for people to train in martial arts is that I think, well, let's put it this way. People find meaning in their pursuits, right? Um, and, you know, for example, um, you say your, your daughter likes dance, right? She's going to experience ups and downs and adversity and lessons that she'll get through that, right? The, the reason why I always encourage people to do martial arts training is that you're going to experience those things faster, I think. You're going to experience yourself in ways faster through martial arts training than you would um, in other pursuits. And so that's why I think it's a more direct transmission towards your capability for interpersonal development because you're dealing with really difficult stuff that's going to confront you. And, and has consequence. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the interesting things, I think, is the idea of insulating ourselves from reality, reality through technology. So as we look at how we live... I find I can immerse myself in technology with such ease now. A smartphone I carry around, man. I can put myself into a perspective 
spending my time on, you know, whether it's the YouTube or the games or whatever, I can distract myself to an immeasurable degree. But is that a reality? So what I look at is the idea of taking a hobby and essentially putting yourself into something that, uh, air quotes here, is real. You know, it's uh, there's a physical movement, there's physical action in it. You're engaged with other people. You're doing something that has consequence if you fuck up. Excuse my French. You know, someone could get hurt. You don't want to, you know, like there is consequence and action. So the idea of putting yourself into something that is real, in inverted commas, as opposed to distracting yourself yeah. through technology, I think there's value in that. And it's going to become more relevant for the next generation. When I look at my, my 11-year-old daughter who has her phone, and, you know, that is a constant source of, communication and distraction. So if you could find something that is of value away from the phone, particularly for kids, I think that has its own value. Agreed. You know, having said that, 3D you know, gaming, bloody hell, imagine, <laughs> where's it going to go? That's the other thing. I like the idea of our physical training that we can, you know, you go all matrix on it. And yeah. Where's it going to lead to? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, you're a couple years older than me, but... We're, we're close enough together in age to have had an experience in our core upbringing, what I call pre-internet and then post-internet. And so that essentially we were mostly formed, baked, <laughs> psychological cakes. Yeah. yeah, right? Like we were mostly formed prior to the drop of internet. I, yeah, I remember when it became the thing. Like uh, you, you a little bit different than me. Like for me, we got dial-up internet, that old school internet where you used to like hear the hear the noise. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, we're we're totally hacking the noise trying to recreate it in the microphones. But anybody who heard it knows, right? Like the old school siren call of the internet. Um, now for me, that was like I was in just finishing high school when that popped in, so that would have been like 1997. Yeah, when I just started traveling the world, I went through South America and, and thought the usefulness of post restante vs the usefulness of having an email address. You know, the idea of using Hotmail as somewhere where I could store postage or send messages from if I'm in somewhere that's um, a little yeah. isolated. You know, that was like, dude. I can, you know, I can write a letter and not post it. No snail mail. Oh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, like, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that but I, 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 I wonder what, what the experience is and, how, like, how different your daughters are as human beings growing up entirely with, uh, you know, like, how old were they when they got a smartphone? Yeah, well, this is the question I had. Like, my daughter is 11. She's just started intermediate school, so she's getting working her own way there and back again. Mm. Um, she has a phone. I was, you know, like, um, I was thinking about it. You know, it was a point of my own idea. Like, the usefulness of the connection communicatively is good. But I also see that there's potentials for harm yeah. in that as the, the those core groups start communicating, you know, essentially through the phone, they're, they're going to be able to bully, cyber bully, all that sort of stuff, all the interactions that are without the consequence of face-to-face. If I hassle you in the same room, I can see your tears. 
If I hassle you over a phone, I just get the thrill of being able to hassle you without seeing the consequence. I remember, my, again, a good friend of mine explaining that to me, that they've done some degree of experiments with the idea of that removal from the reality of consequence through technology. I think that's a real thing they're going to have to deal with. Um, the immersive nature of it without the real consequence being evident. Even more good reasons for people to train martial arts. <laughs> Phone martial arts, mate, verbal judo. I mean, that's the whole thing with the, um, when you look at, if you start going down that rabbit hole on the internet about conflict and, and real conflicts that happen, that idea of being able to de-escalate through verbal skills is really important. You know, but having to deal that through internet skills, uh, technology, yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, the whole the, the whole verbal de-escalation thing, it gets talked about a lot, if you'll forgive the pun, mm-hmm. um, but actually is only as good as your ability to deal with that stimulus in the moment. And right? people skills, man. I, yeah. I mean, like, uh, for me, if I'm confronted with a, a social situation, I will stand still in the headlights. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, like that. That's my. You know, I have to process stuff before I have an automatic response. Um, verbal judo, yeah. Oh, you know, again, the ego sacrificing the ego to a degree. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, you know what? We're 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 cresting on here. You know, just shy of about two hours of what we're we're, we're going to be talking about. Is there anything else we can think back about on what we talked about? Because one of the goals that we had was talking around um, some of your. Uh, training experience around Shirinji Kempo. Um, is there anything oh, else well, that you we, think you might want to talk or, or, you know, we can always do another one in the future too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what I'd love to do is acknowledge some of the people who are involved who spend a lot of time with their training and have committed themselves. One of the things you were talking about is the idea of money being attached to martial arts. What, you, like, you mean like as like a side hustle of a yeah, teacher? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, well, yeah. The, one of the things that's become more apparent to me is the, the idea of Shirinji being non-profit. I remember there was another couple of Kempos when I was growing up uh, in the North Shore. There was a Kempo Bushido Ru, and I met some people who trained that who thought it was very worthwhile. And then when I got into the Kempo that I was involved in, Shirinji Kempo, people confused the two. And it's a very different philosophy. One was based, I think Robert Gamble was the name of the guy who did the Kempo Bushido Ru. And it is a franchise. You know, There were people making money from that. The guys who spent time teaching me uh, were entirely amateur, and I don't mean amateur in a bad way. I mean amateur was the part of the philosophy says you don't make money from it. And I could digress and talk a little bit about one of my first teachers, Stuart, who got himself in a little bit of trouble because he crossed over some lines in terms of finances. And that always, I always thought that was a great shame. I mean, I, I wasn't training with him at the time. It became more apparent um, with some people I talked to who kept training with him. And, you know, in terms of like, okay, you want to do a grading and we're going to ask you for some money. And I always thought that was, you know, like that was to the detriment of the art. I mean, the guy obviously has to live. He's got skills and he's teaching people, but there's a a fundamental conflict in terms of if you want to... Well, it's always, um, there's a bit of an implication there when you offer up a financial incentive for a hierarchy-based system of rank, then... People yeah. will buy their way into it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. and you got to understand that people operate. There are costs for a club. Nothing is free. You need to find a space. You need to have money in the bank so that things can be smooth and continue. Yeah, and I never got to talk to Stuart about that. I wasn't involved in it. 
Um, but it's always been a, uh, he, he never did, <laughs> I mean, he's a charismatic character, um, and he got me involved in Shirinji. Um, but, the, you know, that they left a, a few, like, oh, question marks. Okay, so, you know, what were his motivations for teaching? I mean, and if it enabled him to live a life there, you talked, you referenced a little bit about the old samurai, you know, like living the samurai life. You know, I don't know what other people's dreams Yeah, when there's are. like, there's there's no more samurai. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the thing. It's like a little bit of, starts to, to you know, verge on the fantasy and, and how healthy is that? I mean, yeah. you know. But in, in order to, if you go invest your time as a teacher, though, there needs to be some, I can understand that there are models, you know, and if you have a commercial model, that is viable, and everybody knows what it is going in. No problem with that at all. Everybody knows which way is up. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I remember having a conversation years back with a guy who um, who used to um, have a profitable martial arts school, um, and I, I think he said like, oh, he had like roughly somewhere between like fifty and seventy students, you mm. know, which is. You know, again, like that's well, a reasonable club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when we talk about like most of my training experiences, most of yours, right? Are we're talking about a training group between like ten to twenty or something yeah, like that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, normal size, right? And then, um, and some even smaller. Like you know, most clubs might even be around like the ten to fifteen people or whatever. When you start getting into this kind of thing, where you got like sixty, seventy, a hundred, a hundred and twenty people rolling through um your place and you're charging them money and you're doing uh training um you know it 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 becomes a little bit difficult because a what that means for the instructor is that actually it's becoming a source of income that you start to lean on right like you know you think most average people who have a small martial arts club don't derive and cannot live on the income alone. You know, they got a job and then, in, you know, three nights a week they teach martial arts and it's a nice side supplemental business. But as soon as that, like, if it grew to a point where you're like, oh, you know what, I don't like going to my day job anymore. I'm just going to teach martial arts. Yeah, cool. But then it changes, right? Because then you get, it's a trap. To a degree, I mean, the other thing I'm thinking of now is, and I don't have direct experience of it, but I got... My thoughts went there when I was my friend asking me which arts his daughter would be, you know, good to go to. And then there's a Korean school in uh, Browns Bay which has a good reputation. And these guys like that, I think it's a Taekwondo school. You know, and and I have a friend whose son has gone through it, and he is full of praise for that school. And it's almost like actually, in order to survive commercially. They have to have a degree of competence and professionalism that evolves with a full-time school. So there's that side of it, almost like you have a McDonald's, and McDonald's may not be the most wholesome, home-cooked, sourdough, baked, whatever, but actually it can provide a guaranteed um, level of service and provision. You know, that was something, because I remember yeah. seeing, look, they looked for a, a Taekwondo Teach us or an advertisement, right? Yeah, and it was like, okay, well, this is actually a really commercial enterprise. So there's that other side to it, and I don't have enough. I don't have enough knowledge of that to comment on directly. But I thought, oh, interesting angle. Well, sorry, and just to close off the loop there. So the end point of his conversation was that um, he stopped the school. What? Yeah, oh. he, he he pulled the plug on it because essentially. What it turned into was not what he wanted his 
uh, teaching to be about. Oh, so the, and the idea of like he compromised his personal moral boundary as to what he would accept as yeah. being like this is okay, this yeah. is what I'm going to teach and how I'm going to teach it, and these yeah. are the standards I, I got. So he he mm. he wanted a setup that was more with a smaller ratio of students um, that he could provide more direct transmission and build the kind of students he wanted through more connected relationships uh, comparatively to having lots of students and more money. But then, um, you know, it just ran on autopilot. And so I, I always thought that was kind of interesting. And I think, you know, it's kind of neat. And you see, you know, even, even Auckland's a bit of a funny thing right now in terms of pricing. Like you look at some martial arts and like, I think that the average normal martial arts buy-in right now uh, for a month's training is like around a hundred bucks, but then a hundred bucks a month, by the way. Mm-hmm. So 20, $25 a week. Which but, is not exorbitant. Man. No. Not, is, a gym member, is that a gym membership? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's places in town, and particularly some of the um, the places that are doing the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. Now, same thing. I know these guys are trying to make a living off of doing it, but they're like double, man. They're like charging $50 a week or it might be like $160 a month or whatever. And then I'm like, well, that's, um, I don't know. It's a fair clip of the ticket. It, 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 it but is. But it's commercial, man. The thing is, if they're trying to be vile commercial, it's what the market will bear. And if they're offering a product that they think is worth that money, more power to them. A different kettle of fish from what I do. Like I'm thinking in terms of my my amateurishness and the value I attach to that. But that's the same as I, I hold value to uh, making my own beer or doing whatever. You know, like I do, it's like I find there's an authenticity in my degree of ownership. But yeah. you know, with a commercial venture, the, if they think they can command that price and there's a value to it, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Hey, um, let me ask you this question. Um, you know. We, You've had a long-term uh, exposure and benefit to training in uh, Shirinji Kenpo in mm. New Zealand and mm. in Auckland. You live in Auckland. If somebody listening right now thought, you know what, I want to, I want to do that. Where can they find training, and where could they do it so sure. we can support those guys who are who are doing the mahi? Okay, well, just the, look it up on the internet, my man. It's uh, fairly straightforward, Auckland, Shirinji Kenpo. There's branches on the North Shore, East Auckland, and, and Auckland Central. Yep. Um, Different focuses for each one, and there the the instructors. Uh, there's some very top quality instructors at each of the branches. Um, Japanese P, uh, individuals are involved, um, particularly in East Auckland, but also Auckland Central and um, North Shore. Darren is, is still doing it. He's been running that club very successfully for over 30 years, I think, pretty much, or 20, 20 years plus. Um, easy to find um, and quite good value, although... Uh, it's a long-term path. <laughs> it's a long-term path. Uh, one of the, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's cool, man. Yeah, I just wanted to hit that off because I, oh, I, uh, I... The other, other one I would say is the, the, the New Plymouth. Also, if you're looking in New Zealand, Peter Monk is still training, and he is the old school. He has a lot of knowledge, um, and he's in New Plymouth. Cool. Yeah, if you wanted to look him up. All right. Sure, with conversation. Yeah, well, because you're you're going down there every once in a while and doing some trainings, eh? Yeah, and he's yeah. coming. And he's coming up. Um, he, there's a, a guy he used to train with, uh, Andrew, and the reconnecting in Auckland. Where Andrew's recently come back to New Zealand. Um, so yeah, going down to see him and, and see what he's built in New Plymouth is very interesting. And he trains with a good bunch of people down there. They just got new premises. Cool. Mm. Fantastic, man. 
All right. Well, hey, Tony, I think that's us, man. We're, we're, we're just cresting on two hours here. So um, I want to say thank you very much. Really appreciate you uh, saying some time out of your day and um, joining me on the podcast and um, looking forward to having you again. Okay. Yeah, thank you very much. All, All right. right. Thank you very much, everybody. That is us. Hope you had a fun time listening along, and uh, we will be laying down another episode sooner than later, I hope. Take it easy.